This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. At Omaha, located in caverns deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 639 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. It's a me, the Internet's Joe Patrick. Hey, I'm a here too, and my name's Matt Baum. Your head number two for this edition of the Cosmic Long Box. Every other episode, we're helplessly flung into the comic time stream to discuss classic comics based on a theme. And this week, we're doing the opposite of our lame villains theme. We're doing Lovable Losers, where we talk about Earth's less than mightiest heroes. After that, we'll head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for a glimpse into the future of our must-read picks for next week. But now, it's time to seal our containment suits and mount the cosmic long box for a wild ride into the comic time stream. Let's face it, not all heroes can be Batman or Captain America. So. Except for those heroes that did become Batman well, and I mean, Captain America, yeah, but, but you two, know. Okay. <laughs> so today, the Cosmic Long Box has a shining a spotlight on some lesser known heroes that we love, but there's a twist. Joe was forced to review comics starring my favorite lesser known lovable losers, and I am reviewing comics starring his. Joe, this was just another excuse to get me a Read a Legion book, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're the one that came up with this dumb rule, yeah. so you have nobody to blame but and yourself. You turned it right against me. So I would fast. have reviewed the <laughs> exact same comics regardless. Let's kick things off with Iron Man 226 from Marvel Comics. The year was 1988. The cover price was 75 cents. It was written by David Michelinie and Bob Layton with art by Mark Bright. Sometimes you might see him credited as Doc Bright or M.D. Bright. He's a man of many names. I quite honestly did not know that was all the same person. All the same guy. I did not know that. Here's a bit of background. Initially and mistakenly targeted by Tony Stark as a user of stolen Stark technology during the armor wars. Iron Man picks a fight with Tiger Shark's brother-in-law. True story. Yep. Oceanographer and one-time Avengers landlord. Also a true story. Dr. Walter Newell. So uh, Iron Man didn't have his phone number. Couldn't call him. Or, yeah, right. You know, hey, can I, can I ask you a question about your armor? Yeah. <laughs> Though Stingray could swim circles around Tony underwater, he was no match for the sheer power of Iron Man. After he was proven innocent of any wrongdoing and given a half-assed apology by Stark, Newell would continue working off and on with the Avengers and later the initiative. And he was most recently seen in the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers fending off a swarm of sharks set upon him by Namor after he refused to join the Atlantean King's nefarious defenders of the deep. Uh, did you know that Stingray has been around since like the late sixties? I did not know that. I thought this was his first appearance. No, sir. Are you kidding me? Nope. Walter Walter Newell first appeared in the pages of uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner in 1968. Really? I did not know that. It's true. This is the first time I bumped into him as a kid. As I said, this issue takes place during the classic Armor Wars storyline, though, for some reason, this issue uh, is internally labeled Stark Wars Chapter Two. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know why. I don't care why. I didn't bother to look it up. I'll it bet it was some editorials going on. Where, like, I don't know. I don't know. One of them maybe wanted Armor Wars. One of them wanted Stark Wars. And then maybe the end. they retroactively named it Armor Wars because they did Armor Wars two later yeah, on. I that don't know. could be. And when the trade came out, they were like, "Nope, it's all the Armor Wars." There you go. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Tony is out there kicking ass and taking names, and the Avengers aren't too happy about his new take no prisoners attitude. But he don't give no shits. After easily dispatching a trio of armored villains called the Raiders, Tony picks Stingray as his next target, but not before writers David McElhaney and Bob Layton get his head right with some rousing tennis and romantic hookups. Sure. For some strange reason, Tony can't tell the Avengers why he's on this mission, despite the fact that they all know his secret identity. Uh, it's weird. Also, they had no problem contacting him without showing up to pick a fight first. Well, uh, like he, just he was trying pointing to that out. The- like they were able to get a hold of Tony. Right. Without showing up and shooting arrows at him. But he was trying to cover up the fact that this was stolen. This could have possibly stolen Stark tech. That's yes, funny. but everybody knows he's Star- like all of the Avengers know he's Tony Stark. Why didn't he just tell the Avengers, hey, I think my technology has been stolen and I'm after the guys that took it. He's embarrassed. I don't know. I mean, th- no, that's dumb. It started that's dumb. a whole armor war, Joe. Do you want an armor war or not? OK, <laughs> that's what you need uh, to ask yourself. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> The art by future Quantum and Woody co-creator Mark Bright is fantastic, and it embraces peak 80s style. Rhodey sports a high-top fade that would make Kid of Kid and Play jealous, and Tony has what can only be described as a jerry-curled mullet. I mean, that's all of it's true. Just look at it. Just look it up. When he's not committing hair crimes, Bright's action scenes are really impressive. He does a great job illustrating the speed and grace that Stingray moves with underwater, making it clear that he's a lot more than just the Iron Man of the sea. Like that dude knows what he's doing down there. Iron Man 226 is a strange mix between corporate and romantic melodrama and superhero action, but it's got great art and it did make me want to revisit the rest of the armor wars or potentially Stark Wars storyline. I'm giving this a buy it. It was fun. I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with Stingray. This was fun. Matt, why do you give a shit about Stingray? <laughs> so I loved the Armor Wars as a kid just because all the armored characters were there. By the way, this is my favorite Iron Man armor. The big maroon shoulders. The silver centurion oh, armor. Yeah. I love it so much. This bot, this era of Bob Layton Iron Man was just like so in my wheelhouse. And I loved that the Armor Wars had all these specialists that did stuff. And the idea that there was like an underwater guy, which... I mean, I'm sorry, but everybody can go underwater in their suit. And yeah, he can go a little faster, but he still gets his ass kicked in his first appearance. So. Well, sure, but, uh, I mean, uh, it, he's an oceanographer. He's not just a guy that goes underwater. Like I he's an underwater. Like it's that's like saying like, why won't why don't you just put tripwire uh, in some fins and a scuba mask instead of hiring wetsuit to join G.I. Joe? I totally get that. No, I'm just saying I loved the armor wars and for some reason stingray totally did it for me you know what it was it was his costume is rad his costume kicks ass but when he like dives in the water and puts his arms out and the weird wing things go out in front of him like oh man i love he looks cool costume yeah other than that character and yeah he's fine (laughs) he's kind of a loser yeah i mean there's i mean there's nothing especially loser like about him he's just not popular yeah he's just i mean like he's just an oceanographer that developed this suit he's a he's a competent guy that has gotten in some event adventures and sometimes joins the avengers love me some stingray do you have a rating for this issue each of us obviously are getting oh, we are five. assuming we are yeah okay so we are right assuming that each of these picks is a buy it for the other person right because we picked them yes because i picked that's it fair up. yeah 
Let's talk about the first pick Joe had for me. Marvel Team Up, number 131 from Marvel, was 1983. Creative team was J.M. Demantius writing with art by Kerry Gamble and Mike Esposito. Few villains left their mark on New York City like Daredevil's arch nemesis Leapfrog. After old Hornhead whipped his green butt, Vincent Patillo would end up in prison. But that wouldn't be the end of the Leapfrog suit and its electric leaping coils. Vincent's son, Eugene, would discover the suit and become Frogman, a hero fighting to clean up the city and clear his father's name. This isn't Eugene's first appearance as Frogman. He uh, accidentally fell on someone in Marvel Team Up 121, but he's back here fighting the White Rabbit and her gang who've been robbing fast food restaurants. White Rabbit, who is uh, basically the penguin with better legs. She has an umbrella that shoots razor-edged carrots and some thugs. These thugs mentioned being paid $1,000 a week. Now, keep in mind, this was back in 1983. That's pretty good money. So three thugs at $52,000 each a year for a total of $156,000 just in thug fees. And you are robbing fast food restaurants. <laughs> That's a lot no. of McDonald's, man. <laughs> but also, this comic very, very clearly establishes that the uh, White Rabbit is in it for the thrill, not for the money. She's already loaded. I guess so. Eugene is kind of a heavy guy. He was crushing some burgers when there were White Rabbit strikes. Of course, he goes on to make fat jokes about himself for the rest of the issue. Clever jokes like, Time to suit up and go fight some crime. After I've had a couple Twinkies, that is. Maybe I should sew a special snack compartment into this costume. Ah, well. See, that's the thing is that I don't think that that's supposed to be a joke. That's just supposed. Uh, that's like Eugene's not making fun of himself. Just He's just saying, sad. I really love Twinkies. <laughs> I wish I had a way to carry these Twinkies with me okay. into battle. Well, then it reinforces what I say later. The Rabbit's gang almost kills Frogman, and he's saved by Spidey, who he then yells at for saving him. You see, Eugene kind of sucks. Spidey tells him to chill out and then recounts Eugene's entire origin story, I guess, to make sure that he remembers. <laughs> Eugene lives with his dad, who reformed in prison, but decides to go back to crime after he saw his son on TV in the suit trying to catch the white rabbit for the reward money because they are poor. And the job that dad agrees to take, it just happens to pay $1,000 a week. Ah, that's right. Full circle. Leapfrog Sr. took a job from the White Rabbit as one of his henchmen. Then we get the second self-narrated origin story for the White Rabbit, who then segues into her new plan to rob a book fair. There's a whole side story with some nerd named Roger that loves his mom and calls her his best girl and ends up breaking a lamp over the White Rabbit's head. So he gets the reward, which is great because mom needed surgery because she broke her hip. Hooray! And it turns out Leapfrog was undercover for the cops, so they split the reward. Double hooray! Uh, no, Leapfrog Sr. was undercover. Pardon me, Leapfrog Sr., yes. The plot here is fine. It's clever even, but there is no reason to write this much <laughs> demadius packed every panel with thoughts and narration and long origin stories there's so much dialogue here it's crazy and these are origin stories for characters that were jokes at best don't tell me that jm had big plans for the white rabbit i don't give a crap about alice in wonderland themed anything be it bars or heroes or villains or steampunk cheesecake retellings just no thanks okay i'm giving this a leave it 
And Frogman is not only bad at his job, but he's a self-effacing fat jerk that yells at everybody, too. Okay, why do you love Frogman? All right. I can see that you have chosen violence this week and uh, (laughs) I don't really appreciate it. Um, Marvel team up 131 is one of um, one of the earliest comics I had growing up. And so all of these things that you're saying about there being so many so much dialogue and so much exposition and so many uh, recounts of uh, concepts and origins and storylines, that's because. You had kids like me that would randomly get an issue out of the blue of a comic book like Marvel Team Up 131 that references characters that appeared in previous stories completely out of context. Fair enough. And and it was the 80s. And that's what they did. They did not fully embraced with the White Rabbit's origin. I don't need the origin. Yeah, that's fine. If you don't like the White Rabbit, that's (laughs) fine. But like there's nothing like everything that you complained about. As far as like she's robbing fast food restaurants, she's paying her thugs too much. That's all explained in the story. She is a rich thrill seeker who doesn't give a shit about money. She only wants uh, fame and excitement and she doesn't care what she has to do to get it. I just feel like this could have decided if it wanted to be funny or not. I don't think it's necessarily meant to be ha 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 funny. I think it's supposed to be lighthearted. Like it, you're not supposed to like laugh at everything Eugene says. Like I didn't he laugh is a at any he is it. a jerk. Don't worry, I didn't laugh at a uh, damn thing. Like he he is a jerk. Like he he's insecure, uh, and he's yelling at Spider Man because he's like he's like that kid who's like I can do it myself, Dad. Right, but isn't that you a know? weird choice? It's like you want us to sort of like laugh with him and at him and not. Like I mean him? the fact. That stuff doesn't age well. I, I'll grant you that. Like they make they make a point to I'm reference not, that he had eaten yeah. three quickie burgers with cheese. Right. And then he's st- stuffing Twinkies into his gullet before he goes out to fight crime. And I'm not even going like, for that. We don't aspect. need that shit. Like, it's okay, I, just let him be fat. He I, can be fat. Right. And I'm not even going at it from that point of view. I'm just going at it from like, I took that as like, yeah, back in the day, this is like, oh, fat kid comedy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's no punchlines there. That's no. like, like jokes and J.M. DiMatteis is a better writer than that. Right. So. It's unfunny. I, like, <laughs> I, I don't I, I think it's I think it's just poor character. It's like. We have a character, Eugene Patillo, whose dad was a supervillain, a failed supervillain. Um, his characteristics are he's stubborn, he's proud, uh, and also fat. Fat is not a character trait. Don't forget unlikable. Uh, he's, I mean, you say unlikable, I disagree. I think he's just, uh, he's just he wants to be a hero. He wants to prove himself and he's frustrated when people keep getting in his way, even though he will obviously get murdered if they don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he sucks at his and, job. So uh, why do I love a leapfrog? If not, I am like, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, a pro- par- pardon me, frog man. Uh, uh, because I was exposed to him at a very, very early age. Uh, Marvel team up. It was a great series uh very much like marvel two and one definitely uh that served as an entry point for uh kids just randomly grabbing off the newsstand sure uh for to to learn about the wider marvel universe and to be fair i've read plenty of these that i adore absolutely love and i guarantee you they are also exactly what you just complained about they are also very similar to this in terms of the way the stories are presented i think the art is fantastic carrie gamble is very good the art is very good 
Um, I don't know whatever happened to that dude. He went on to have a long career uh, in the post-crisis Superman office at DC. Uh, he drew Superman after John Byrne left. And uh, he's just really great. Um, but yeah, so I love this. I love this comic. I love everything about it. And I think you suck for hating it. <laughs> Speaking of John Byrne, let's talk about Sensational She-Hulk number six. It's Marvel Comics again. 1989 was the year. The price was $1.50. This was one of the higher dollar uh, Marvel Comics. Baxter on the print, baby. At the time. You were paying for Baxter print. Here's a bit of background. She-Hulk is the special celebrity guest at the tour of NASA's new FTL facility in Cape Canaveral. She is taken out to the launch pad for the new Star Blazer, which will be NASA's first faster than light spacecraft. Get it? That's what FTL stands for. Little does Jen know she's about to get wrapped up in an intergalactic affair of the heart involving the mysterious disappearance of US-1 and everyone's favorite boar-headed truck driver, Razorback. Hell Razorback, yeah. hell yes. AKA, <laughs> Razorback, a.k.a. Buford Hollis, got his start as a small-time hero in Arkansas before teaming up with Spider-Man to rescue his little sister from a cult. After making it to deep space, it was revealed that Buford was a mutant with the innate ability to operate any mode of transportation, regardless of his prior knowledge. That is a mutant power there, man. He's like Cypher yeah. of vehicles. He's like, he's the, <laughs> yeah, or the Forge. He's the Forge of driving. Well, Forge builds him. Cypher can like read anything. I guess. Yeah, yeah, fair. His boar suit also came equipped with a powerful electric taser charge, a trait common to all boars. Buford would eventually return to Earth and lose his powers on M-Day, but it didn't stop him from staying in the hero game. He joined the 50 State Initiative, where he would be replaced by a scroll infiltrator during Secret Invasion. Yeah, man. Get rescued and pick up right where he left off and after some training from Tigra. You know that scroll like picked the shortest straw. They're like, all right, you get to be Razorback. He's like, what? Time well, out. I mean, you uh, get to be I'm, Spider Girl and I get to be Razorback. <laughs> uh, like uh, the queen got to be Spider Woman. Let's be clear. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and I'm rereading Secret Invasion as we speak. Uh, I'm near the end. I've been reading a bunch of the tie ins and the scrolls, except for a couple of highly placed ones like Hank Pym and uh, and uh, Jessica Drew. They picked a lot of just like randos that nobody would suspect. Oh, yeah. And they put one on every team in the initiative. Because that makes sense. Uh, you don't like, yeah. like oh, we're going to replace Captain America. That's going to be a huge pain in the ass. Right. And also a big red flag for any for like too many red flags. Right. If you're going to do that, uh, you got to make the whole world change. And he has to be. And then he can be a Nazi. You know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had nearly forgotten how absolutely buck wild John Burns She-Hulk is. She's constantly breaking the fourth wall by referring to the readers, her existence as a comic book character, and even Byrne himself. Yeah. And this doesn't even scratch the surface of this love letter to some of the silliest Marvel concepts of the late 70s. Of course, US-1, oh. a product of America's fascination with trucker culture, went into space and established an intergalactic hauling business. What, Joe, of, what else are they supposed to do? Okay. <laughs> sure. Of course, the only one that can find him is Marvel's only other, at the time, super-powered truck driver. Byrne naturally draws the book himself as well, so everything about this insane road trip is gorgeous. The whole thing is a tremendous amount of fun, and it serves as a reminder that the notoriously cranky Byrne is one of the greatest superhero storytellers of all time. He really is. 
The only thing missing is an appearance by Team America. The motorcycle squad. I believe Sensational they lost the rights to Team America and that and like they were just like, all right, fine, we're done with that. Ah, see, I didn't know Team America was licensed, it so was I don't a know. Toy about that. thing. Yeah. Oh, but US one also was a toy thing, I think. Yes. They're, so that's why they don't call him US one. They call him in this, they call him Ulysses or uh, Ulysses Solomon something Armstrong like or whatever. Yeah, something like that. But it's look, it's US one. It was Big Jim, maybe basically somebody's competition of Big sure, Jim. Sure, right. That's yeah. Sensational She-Hulk number six gets a huge buy it. Like even today, we're, we're what, 26, 27 years in uh, from this and it still holds up. It oh, was yeah. really great. Hey, Matt, why Razorback? I'll tell you why, Joe. Uh, young Matt loved wrestling and my favorite wrestlers. I mean, sure, I like the popular ones and stuff, but some of my favorite ones were the guys that just had the dumbest shtick you could think of sure like carries two by four right or like irs so yeah. he's like he's a tax guy boo right. you know like so canadian mountie right. we got a guy in a pig suit drives a truck and you know what his power is driving trucks <laughs> i love it i mean come on it's yeah. like sold i'm 100 percent in and burn takes him very seriously and like makes him pretty powerful actually <laughs> i love razorback i love this sensational she hulk run if you've never read it by all means pick this up totally holds up such a great oh, do you know me i'm the she hulk no only one hulk that's right hulk the she hulk is your enemy no don't listen to him joe's next pick for me was also Written and drawn by John Byrne. This is West Coast Avengers, number 46 from Marvel, 1989. I might need to read the entire West Coast Avengers run because every time I have picked up an issue, it has been absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Here, Byrne's going for comedy and he's introducing a new team of heroes for the Midwest, the Great Lakes Avengers, led by Mr. Immortal, who found out he can't die the hard way by attempting suicide. <laughs> Big Bertha, a mutant that can control her adipose tissue and make her so make herself crazy sexy or super fat. Flatman, he's flat and stretchy. Doorman, who is a living dimensional door, and Dinosaur, who is a pink-looking pterodactyl woman, and no one really knows what kind of power she actually has outside of flight. Here, Hawkeye, who has just been kicked off the Avengers. After being a huge jerk to his wife after she killed her own rapist, CTHN episode 609, Weddings and Breakups. <laughs> that was another Cosmic Longbox episode for more on that one. Bobby finds Hawkeye at a hotel where he's been hiding out since quitting West Coast Avengers because he hated USA Agent. Bob See, and that's where it gets confusing because um, he says he quit. And that he got kicked out yeah. in the same comic. It was sort of like, uh, you can't fire me, I quit type thing. Right, I sure, know. right. Yeah. Right. Or in John Gruden's latest thing, you can't fire me, I politely resign. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> Bobby, Mockingbird, wants to talk about their marriage. If you didn't know, they were married. But it seems a little late for that because they're definitely not married here and very much divorced no i think they're still married um they're just separated because that was just 10 issues prior uh, was that maybe issue. they had agreed they were getting a divorce at this 10 point, or 11 they hadn't late. filed the paperwork or something instead the two decide to head to milwaukee to investigate the great lakes avengers who will later say they chose the name to continue the coastal theme the avengers have going on you know 
the East Coast Avengers. <laughs> That's not how you do it. When you got an expansion, you don't. You, the original one is you, they would have changed the name to like. There's no such thing as Geno's West. There's just Geno's and Geno's East. I agree, but this is what they said. So I just go. But uh, the Avengers are on the East Coast. I understand that. And then you have the West Coast Avengers. And they want to be the Great Lakes Avengers to continue that. Apparently, Burns' art is excellent. At this point in the '80s, he was peak Burn. So. Everyone looks great, except for maybe Bobby's civilian outfit. Woof. And a weird scene where Tigra looks to transform back into a nude normal person. We talked about that. While U.S. agent is trying to stop her from chasing and eating a mouse. Something is obviously going on with Tigra here. And I think maybe she was sort of losing her mind and transforming. They're doing that that trope that they did in comics before computer coloring, where there are like phantom images of of her to indicate she's moving very fast and they are colored lightly, which ended up being an unfortunate flesh tone, uh, which does for one panel make it appear like she's naked, but she's still got fur. Really she's weird. still got fangs and claws. It's a coloring issue. While the GLA are definition of lovable losers, the humor burn reaches for doesn't land very well sometimes and most of the characters came off as kind of dark the only character in the book that comes off as remotely likable is big bertha hawkeye even makes us agent looks like a pretty nice guy at this point i i forget how much hawkeye used to whine and bitch about everything <laughs> like he was such a he jerk. had a huge chip on his shoulder yeah, yeah. that's true like I said, West Coast Avengers is the Avengers super weird sister title. And the first appearance of the GLA certainly delivers on the weird. I can't say it made me like them anymore. Or at all. <laughs> so I'm going to give this a skim it. Joe, I got to know, why do you like these characters? They're kind of um, they're kind of dark. Honestly. I mean, sure. I mean, that's part of that's kind of part of their shtick and they've always been that way. The 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 Great Lakes Avengers, I I I will grant you that this first appearance, you know, they aren't what they would become in the hands of uh, a writer like Dan Slott uh, uh in in later years where he had uh, multiple chances to write them in their own minis and specials. Right. Um I like I, I like the Great Lakes Avengers because they are like the little heroes that could right. They they're like we want to be Avengers, sure. so we are Avengers, and the Avengers are like, no, you're not. Uh, but instead of when, having their lawyers draft something and say like you can't use that name, they're like let's uh set a trap for him and shoot arrows at him. And stuff. Yeah, but uh, no, but Hawkeye <laughs> Hawkeye does what Hawkeye you're right would continue to do well on into the future. He would meet with them, decide that he likes their moxie, and be like, you know what. You guys got it. We're going to we're going to train and you're going to be the Great Lakes Avengers. Oh, and by the way, like I'm in permission. charge, you know, because sure, I'm Hawkeye. Right. Like he's such right. a jerk. Um, he did the same thing. He did the same thing to the Thunderbolts uh, during Heroes Reborn or Heroes Return, rather, um, after they were outed as the masters of evil. Um, most of the Thunderbolts continued to do good. Right. Because they were like, you know what? being heroes is better. Like we, we like it better. We, we being villains never worked for us. And Hawkeye recognized that because he was also a former villain yeah. as was the black widow, as was Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. And so he just shows up at the Thunderbolts headquarters and he's like, guess what? I'm your new leader. Yeah. Let's be good guys. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, 
but yeah and so the great lakes avengers yeah they, there is some darkness there like mr immortal his only power is to die and then when he's reborn he goes crazy briefly like yeah. rachel ghoul does when he comes out of the lazarus pit and only dinosaur can calm him down with like her weird subsonic yeah it's like a silent word bubble and everybody's like, dinosaur babble saying? like oh yeah know. <laughs> um like big bertha like i i like the inverted trope that um like they don't make jokes at her expense she's is big she is you know she's not big in like a muscular sense she's big enough a fat sense like the blob but she's also a badass but that's her power her power is to become that big and when she is that big she is formidable she's probably one of the most formidable members of the team Oh, yeah. Um, the rest of them have pretty lousy power. Like Flatman is Mr. Fantastic without the brains. Yeah. Uh, Doorman is great if you only need to get through. A th- one page. like it's not like you can go through Doorman in Chicago and end up in New York. No, no, no. It's like can... Doorman will stand on the one side of a door. Yeah. And then you can get through that door without opening the door. Oh, by the way, you're passing through the dark dimension when you do. Yes. And also you have to go, you have to fit through, uh, you have to fit through a portal, the size and shape of a human man. Right. And like, uh, by the way, you walk through Dormammu's apartment to get to where yeah, you're going. Yeah, it's, uh, it sucks. Um, so yeah, like there's uh, the Great Lakes Avengers. They've got a lot of baggage, um, but I, I like that. They're just like so earnest. Uh, I also love like later on, uh, they would, when, uh, the Avengers were presumed dead, they were like, all right, guys. The Great Lakes Avengers are no more. The Avengers are gone. We're going to be the the lightning rods now. And they tried to make themselves into a, a Thunderbolts franchise. And then the Thunderbolts ended up being criminals. And they're like, OK, well, now we're the Great Lakes X-Men. And they all wore Frank <laughs> Quietly jackets. Yeah. And like, I just I, I think they're fun. I think they're fun. They this issue is maybe a little bit darker yeah. than their later. Appearances. They got more fun. I will definitely give you that. Yeah, because then Squirrel Girl will join, and then sure. there was a character named Grasshopper who kept dying. It's like, you know, goofy stuff. Shazam! Let's jump ship to DC for a bit. Matt's next pick for me is Black Condor number one from 1992. The cover price was $1.25. It's written by Brian Augustin with art by Rags Morales. That's right. That Rags Morales. That Rags. Here's some background. The second Black Condor, Ryan Kendall, derived his powers of flight telekinesis and healing from the genetic experiments of his grandfather creighton creighton kendall i'm guessing a member of the organization called the society of the golden wing creighton and his allies had been attempting to create a man who could fly and they did they did (laughs) for a reason like success huge success after numerous attempts kendall was the only success Kendall eventually rebelled and escaped from his grandfather, who made frequent attempts to recapture the youth in order to study and reproduce his abilities. Uh, He possesses low level telekinesis and a sort of empathic sixth sense. In addition to flight, Uh, Ryan was adamant when he first appeared as the Black Condor that he was not a superhero. However, uh, all he does is save people. Yeah. Uh, Time proved him wrong and he fought alongside other heroes, notably Primal Force. I don't know if that's notably Wikipedia, but or uh, fandom.com, but whatever. <laughs> no. Uh, and briefly, Justice League International. Not the funny one, the uh, when they decided everything needed to be serious again. Eventually, he went to Opal City, where he felt very much at home and fought alongside Jack Knight and the Shade in defending that town. As of Infinite Crisis number one, Kendall was serving with the Freedom Fighters and he was killed by Sinestro during an ambush by the Secret Society of Supervillains, R.I.P. 
Black Condor 2. Yeah. And nobody came to his funeral. Oh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure people came to his funeral. Brian Augustine's story is a bit haphazard, almost to the point that I thought maybe I'd missed something. Yeah. Like, I, I thought, did this guy first, like, did he first appear in, like, Showcase or a team-up book? Nope. Uh, you know, DC <laughs> had those at the time. No, this is it. Yep. Uh, uh, we just get the briefest of explanation of his origin and introductions to the supporting cast. Again, that made me think that Ryan had established this life for himself a while ago. That's It's no, like... Hi, I'm Jim Park Ranger. Nice to meet you. It's not like, hey, Jim, I'm going to go take a nap, okay? Will you let me know if there's any trouble brewing? It's like they're already buddies. But the main plot with a group of payroll thieves on the run in the New Jersey Pine Barrens is compelling. Augustine does a good job setting the tone of this issue with an increasingly deranged ringleader and his unsure accomplices and establishes real stakes in a relatively down-to-earth situation. Of course, Rags Morales would go on to be a celebrated artist at DC, but even his early work here is stunning. He's obviously still developing his style at this point. He'd been around for a while. He did a lot of those um, uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons books in the late 80s. Uh, But his varied facial expressions and scenes of the Black Condor in action are impressive. He also brings a command of shadows and lush detail to the Pine Barrens uh, that sets this book apart from most other urban hero titles like this takes place there are no cityscapes there are no skyscrapers there are no you know there's no wall-to-wall traffic no uh this is like nothing but trees and cliffs and rocks and it's beautiful this is hawkman in the woods kind of yeah i really only knew black condor from guest appearances in other books most notably starman i think i did have this issue i also had one of the issues he was in from the justice league um but his first appearance here was a compelling read with art by one of the greats. I'm giving this a buy it. It's good. Matt, why do you love the Black Condor? <laughs> so I first met the Black Condor in the pages of Starman and didn't really know anything about him and went digging through our back issues when we worked at Krypton and found this Black Condor miniseries and was like, oh, cool, this is where he came from. And I loved Rags Morales already it, because he was always already kind of a thing at that time. And getting really good. So I loved looking at his early stuff. It, it just the shadow and the dark aspect of the book looked so good and made him really menacing. Like he was kind of a badass dude. He was sort of like a Hawkman without the weapons and without all the baggage, basically. And I just really liked the character. Now, I did remember reading this and going like, I mean, that was a good enough story, but this can't be the first appearance. And I went, oh, he was a Golden Age character. Nope. Totally different guy. Different character. <laughs> yeah. That's nothing to do with this at all. I, I like the design of the character, too, back in the day. He, was just he, he does look looking. cool. I, and you know what? It's weird because I always assumed just based on like his look that he was indigenous. Um, and perhaps maybe somewhere in there. I think is. he was. But his name is Ryan Kendall. Yes. His grandfather is a white man named Creighton Kendall. Yes. Um, so I don't know uh, where that design uh, choice comes into play. I but, think it is. Um, he safe. does look very cool. Yes. I think it is safe to say that at some point he was indigenous and there was a choice made to give him that name because he looks very very native american there's no uh, like, like the 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 third black condor that was uh created during the jimmy palmiotti uh justin gray freedom fighters era uh is is definitely native american yes definitely. um 
but um, this guy looks it, but it's not really apparent in the text. And just the fact that Jimmy Pagliotti made that character leads me to believe that they knew something in-house and went, well, we're doing this and doing it the right way this time or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I always liked the character. I liked the way he looked, and I love Rex Morales, and that's that's why I fell in love with Black Condor. There you go. Uh, this was an ongoing series. I mean, it only lasted 12 issues, but still, it was ongoing. They They just... Didn't right out of the gate, they were like, Black Condor, go. Oh, I thought it started as a mini and then it became an ongoing. No, no. Nope. DC did a lot of that back then, though. They would launch they would launch titles for characters out of the blue. Oh, yeah, they didn't care. Like, unproven, and then they would either Star live Starman was the same thing. They were just like, here you go. Starman, series, boom, go. Yeah. And yep. it was like playing off this weird Golden Age Starman. Like, imagine trying to sell that today. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> Next up for me is DC Comics Presents number 59 from DC. It was 1983. You may notice an ongoing theme with these creative teams. This was written and drawn by Keith Giffen with additional dialogue by Paul Levitz with finishes by Kurt Schaffenberger. What does that mean? It means that uh, finishes are essentially um, inks. They are. Okay. So Keith did like the maybe, uh, maybe inks, maybe inks that are a little bit more involved than just. So Keith did like breakdowns and he finished literally like finished. I, I honestly don't. I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, I think they would say breakdowns if it wasn't full pencils. Right. So maybe Keith Giffen's pencils were like exceptionally detailed and Kurt Schaffenberger really only just had to trace it. We should. Trace you know I, don't, what? I don't know. We should ask our friend phil hester about this he would know he's he's a well-known comic historian he would know in a desperate bid to make the legion relevant again joe has me reading yet another legion story but this time it stars the legion of substitute heroes and ambush bug ambush bug who is deadpool's spiritual predecessor i don't think there's any argument there spots his buddy superman and jumps onto his back while soups is quote going through time the yeah. art sure makes it look like he's just flying around, but I guess the story opens no, no, with you time gotta look travel. For the, you gotta look for the circles. He's yeah. flying into the uh, circle tunnel. Okay. But I guess this story opens with time travel because we gotta get to the Legion future somehow. When Soups does get to the Legion future, I guess he could just fly to the future back then? Correct. Okay. The Legion, all of them, are apparently on assignment somewhere else. But don't fret. The Legion of Substitute Heroes is here to hold on to Ambush Bug while Soups goes through more time, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, again, it was explained. Like, these are not mysteries. Was it was explained? <laughs> he just yes, said he was Superman doing it. was on his way to a farther point in the time stream when Ambush Bug jumped on his back. I agree with that statement. So he made an emergency stop. I agree with that statement. I was not aware that Superman could just start flying and travel through time. We're talking now. We are talking about the Silver Age Superman here. Okay. Pre-crisis no. Silver Age Superman and who I'm, was powerful enough. He was powerful enough to travel through time of his own accord. I did not know that was a thing. So I was just like, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. Of course, Ambush Bug escapes. It turns out he wasn't actually in a science cell. They stuck him in an aquarium, and that's part of the yep. joke. And it's infectious cool. lass and porcupine Pete have to deal with him. Good thing Chlorophyll Kid is there to help with the tree that he grows, but he accidentally smacks Superman with it. And I don't know if I can read any more of these names aloud, to be perfectly honest. Stone Boy gets stuck in the ground. Color Kid shoots color at Ambush Bug. And 
Then he puts Superman's cape on and heads to the Superman Museum where the public can learn about Soup's secret ID, which seems like a bad idea with it being this easy to get to the Legion future and all. I will say I did think the final panel was cute. It was funny. There was a funny final panel. Keith Giffen's art has always been great, but apparently he had to grow into his sense of humor. You are so f***ing wrong. This comic was we're having this somehow wacky so and zany angry. without being wacky or zany. And who thought this was funny? I, I don't know if this is good or if it was bad. I could say I didn't like it. I didn't think it was funny. <laughs> I don't care about the Legion. And now that I'm in on the joke, that is a Legion of substitute heroes. I still don't get it other than some kind of legendary. How did this comic get made sort of joke? I'm giving this a leave it. I felt nothing. I didn't laugh. I did not like it. I didn't understand what was happening. (laughs) I didn't care. Joe Patrick, sell me on the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Much like the Great Lakes Avengers, the Legion of Substitute Heroes are those can do characters that weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. They didn't make the cut. I got that part. Clearly, like, like even despite the fact that like one of them breathes fire, one of them has ice powers. Like, OK, I think making plants grow is pretty friggin powerful. Yeah. So are they just uh, bad at their jobs? They're not bad. At, I don't know. I don't know. Like, maybe they just didn't have control. I don't know. But I, at the time, like Polar Boy would end up be going on to become uh, not only a member of the Legion, but the leader of the Legion. Uh, but it, it, regardless, like color kid, he doesn't shoot color. His power is to change the color of other things. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. And that's why the Legion was like, thanks, but no thanks. But the substitute. Oh, and it's not only that he is, um, at this point, he may have been one of the auxiliary members, which was a joke within a joke that chloro uh, that porcupine Pete makes or that porcupine Pete says to Superman, uh, like they are the Legion of substitute heroes are so earnest. They're like, we can do it. We it's our job to go into action when the Legion's not available. We're here. We can do it, Superman. We can help you. Oh no, this very um idiotic, simplistic, low-powered Earth villain from a thousand years ago got the drop on us. Yeah. Teleporting bug. And now he's running amok in the future. Oh crap. And so when Superman is talking to Porcupine Pete, he's like, we're on the case, man. We are ready and able to do this. We even called in the auxiliary. And Superman is like, wait, wait, wait. What is the auxiliary? And Porcupine Pete says, yeah, the Legion of Substitute Heroes auxiliary are the are the heroes that didn't make the cut. To join the Legion of Substitute Heroes and Superman is like, oh, Jesus. He like there's a panel where he's like rubbing his eye, his uh, yes. he, the the, and he's just like, oh my god. Do you know what, what I felt like while I read this? I felt like Superman. I felt like it's like why? I'm that's funny. This. That Jesus. is funny. That's not. It, like, this was yes, not that's funny, funny, Joe. Yes, because then like I have the character. I have the ability to change the color of other things. I have two heads. That's my power. I have two heads. I get it, but they weren't. They just weren't funny. They were just dumb. <laughs> they, they were bad at their jobs. Can, and they're, they're not like cracking jokes. It's not that kind of funny. It's not there was like a one joke punk. cracked in the final like panel a, that I really that I thought was it's funny. like a where stone boy was stuck. It's, in mad the, ca- it's like a it's like a um, you asked me why like this pick for me wasn't just the Legion of Substitute Arrows. It was also Ambush Bug. And uh, this this comic was my first exposure to Ambush Bug. Uh, and I immediately loved him. I was like, oh, this guy is like the DC Universe Bugs Bunny. Ambush Bug would go on to be very funny. 
Definitely. Um, and he like, and that's Keith Giffen. Keith Giffen yeah. is uh, ambush bugs daddy. And uh, like, I, like I love the, all of that shit where it's, he's like, they're treating him like some sort of idiot caveman. And basically he's getting the drop on them because they are idiots. They, yeah, they are bad at their job. Yeah. And uh, like, that is funny to me. And the idea that it's like, Oh no, we accidentally brought him to uh, the future. He's in the Superman museum and he can easily find out Superman's secret identity because Superman is a figure from history. Mm-hmm. Anybody who wants and, to can go to the future. <laughs> no, sure. Okay. Yes. But I mean, that just, that's not going to stop. People I know. That's not even my big problem. I just didn't think it was funny. I like, know, like, was so there like, a comedy here? Yeah. Superman was the comedy punches, funny? No. <laughs> Superman, <laughs> Superman punches ambush bugs so hard that he lands uh, several blocks away and they're like, oh shit, we got to make sure he doesn't find the Superman museum. And where is he? He's in the Superman museum. Not only that, but he is sitting underneath the statue of Superman and Clark Kent. Wah, wah. Uh, but he's not like, that is fun. It's fun. It's tongue in cheek. It's lighthearted. It's not like a stand-up comedy routine. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Where And that's why I like it. I would uh, argue Looney Tunes cartoons are funny, but shut up. Me. Uh, the Legion of Substitute Heroes, they're also, they're just, they're fun. They're fun because they are uh, a group of earnest f***-ups, and I think that that's charming. We're trying not um, to say F-bombs anymore. Well, I'm mad at you, so. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, this is, this is a great comic with great art, yes. And you're a jerk for not liking it. <laughs> I've taken no offense from anything you have. Actually, you've liked all of I've mine. given all of your books <laughs> by it so yeah, far, you, you asshole. all of mine. <laughs> This one is hard to like. This next I'm one. I'm going to make up for it here. This next one is hard to like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's Azrael number one. It's from DC. It's 1995 now. The we price should, is $1.95. It's should, written by Denny O'Neill with art by Barry Kitson. You should mention not that. Asriel number one, not the one that we were all like, "Oh, this is kick ass." <laughs> yeah, not sort of Asriel no, number one. No, 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 this no. This is no. just Asriel, <laughs> yes. the ongoing series number one. There's a reason why I picked this one. Yeah, here is some background: homeless and directionless, after losing the mantle of Batman, a hallucinating John Paul Valley wanders the streets of Gotham. He smacks around some thugs and befriends another homeless person. Coincidentally, former psychologist. Brian Brian. Yeah, that's right. His name is Brian Brian. And every time they mention him, they call him Brian Brian. B R I A N. And his last name is B R Y. B R Y A N. Right. Yes, exactly. That's important. Uh, Brian, is it? No. Brian Brian <laughs> advises uh, Gene Paul to ignore the hallucinations, which is great advice, except for when the thugs go to set the shelter where JP is staying on fire and he thinks the flames aren't real. You know, I mean, I get it. These blisters, that can't be real. My hair, burning, I mean, that he can't thinks be real. that he just he <laughs> thinks that uh, he thinks that they're fake. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Batman sets out to find John Paul, Jean Paul, John Paul, Jean Paul, Jean Paul, Jean Paul Valley. I know it's Valley. It's V A L L E Y. It's Valley. He is from Europe, and Dad was the original Azrael. Sent him to join a group of Swiss monks, or. Saint Dumas, anyway, who was in Switzerland at the time. Valet. His name is not Valet. It's I'll I'll grant you it's Jean Paul, but his last name is Valley. I'll I will not take any more questions or guff from you about Jean Paul Valley. 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Batman sets out to find Jean-Paul, feeling responsible for his mental break. Uh, following the events of this arc, uh, JPV would become a frequent ally of the Batman family and travel the globe, learning more about the events that led to his becoming the avenging angel of the Order of St. Dumas, or as I always have called it, the Order of St. Dumbass. St. Dumbass. <laughs> Eventually being killed by his greatest enemies, two characters that you have definitely never heard of unless you read every issue of Azrael, which lasted a hundred damn issues. Yeah, it's it's a miracle. I can't. Uh, I but think this was back when people the, just like bought comics. You just walk no, up to the comic stand, you're like, "Here's money. I'm gonna grab a handful. Thanks, guys." This is where I put on my Matt Bomb hat, and I and I say that Paul Levitz, who at the time would have been an executive at DC, had a great amount of affection for Denny O'Neill. Oh yeah, and his contributions to the DC universe. Yes, and that's why we got a hundred issues of Azrael. I don't care about Asriel, not even a tiny little bit. But for some reason, he was extremely popular for a brief time in the 90s. Yeah. We all know about his disastrous tenure as Batman. That's why I didn't really sum it up more than that early on. But other than that, I'd bet that the only thing people know about him is that he was a lunatic with flaming swords. Maybe something about Gorilla DNA if you're a super fan like Matt. Oh, don't forget four fingers. <laughs> For some reason, he wears gloves. No, the gloves. The gloves. Yeah, have, he wears uh, a glove. Uh, a, like. a, a thumb, a forefinger, and then for some reason, his other three fingers are in one giant. No, pouch. they're in the middle. He has two fingers in the middle, so he's got a giant middle finger. <laughs> oh, like that, it. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. look, kind of like a. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why. There is no benefit to this. <laughs> There's nah. zero benefit to this. No. This issue assumes we know all of that and more, which, to be fair, might have been true of readers back then, but I had a huge disconnect reading it in 2021. So much of Jean-Paul's background is just glossed over, which I guess jibes with his own broken memories, but I could have used a little bit more setup from Denny O'Neill and a little less of the comically evil thugs and philosophizing hobos. There was some good comedy, though, with Brian Bryan. Like, so well, like I mean, he was like, he was definitely like, funny he knew way too much about like okay, everything see, he was uh, doing like he, well yeah he was he's a psycho like the, he's a smart dude he just yeah. like he liked the bottle too much and now he's homeless uh like if you think brian brian is funny i have serious questions about why you like brian brian and not anything going on with the legion of stuff there are some here. really good lines in here we talk about like uh, the, the vintage wine and stuff and like well okay and they, sure and the I'll bad guys are like we weren't doing nothing we were just gonna cut the guy and take his shoes and he freaked out and beat us up and like oh that's low <laughs> some good stuff here that's not, that's not funny sure it is no see yeah you see how it feels it's not funny i doubt no, you're a connoisseur, I, I doubt I you're connoisseur enough to appreciate this vintage friend it's an excellent uh -huh. tokay this is at least four months old i have it on the I, best I authority that, that this i thought that that line was funny yeah. yes i thought that line was funny <laughs> this is One? also not me saying buy this for the comedy <laughs> okay sure saying, yeah no. i mean this isn't a comedy book no one thing that i thought was pretty neat was that all of the scenes we see of asriel in action are hallucinations not that he isn't actually fighting but we're seeing john paul as he sees himself not how he actually is in this moment obviously he would go on to like get his costume back and become asriel for reals um but in this issue he's just like seeing it all it's just all false right one of this issue's strengths is the art. Barry Kitson draws a great Asriel and makes that silly costume look awesome. He doesn't skimp on the detailed environments either, which range from medieval cult castles to the Batcave to fire-ravaged Gotham City alleys. 
Looking back at Asriel number one, I can see how someone who had been following the character at the time was in for a real treat. Reading it for the first time 25 years later, the issue didn't really do anything to make me a bigger fan of the character. I'm giving it a skim it. Sure. Matt, I don't want to talk to you anymore because you're hating on my parade. So <laughs> why do you love Asriel? Let's get it over with. Uh, Asriel was pure design. 100%. There, look, the character sucks. I'm going to be <laughs> like straight up. The character sucks. It's a dumb idea that Denny O'Neill had to try and like expand the world of Batman and also salvage whatever they could from that night quest shit was which was just legendarily bad Batman. So bad that they ended it like two years early because fans were just like, this is garbage. I don't want anything to do with this. I love the design of the suit. I love like the ridiculous order of monks and crap like that. I love that we found out he had chimpanzee DNA for some oh, reason. Chimpanzee DNA. I thought it was gorilla DNA. <laughs> no, it was chimpanzee DNA. Or no, it was orangutan maybe. I don't know. I'd have to look. <laughs> you know, In, uh, on the wiki it just says animal DNA right. because they, they didn't want to It was primate. It was definitely primate. But he looked so cool. And when Joe Casada drew him, it just melted my brain. And I hated Night Quest too. I wanted him back as Asriel more than anything. I got him back for way too long. And I've read this entire series. I have the entire run. It is not good. But this was a time where it's just like, you know what? I like the character. You can't stop me. <laughs> it's an idiot. I don't know why I bought it. I love Azrael. Our final group of lovable losers jumps around in the pages of Justice League Quarterly number two from DC 1991. Pay attention to this creative team because I would argue this is where these two had figured it out and knew how to make each other funny. This is written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMattias with art by Giffen and Tom Artis or Artis. Giffen is credited with breakdowns. Right. And Tom Artis is listed as the artist. Well, actually, it says, uh, or pardon me, he's listed as the artist. Yeah, it says Tom Artist. Artist. Uh, yeah. And um, so I think that's the distinct, that's the difference here is that Keith Giffen, uh, like he did with 52, right. he just did very loose like layouts. Uh, and then the artist came in and actually drew in their own style on top of that. Gotcha. In the deepest reaches of space, a cosmic being remakes worlds, leaving them nothing short of fabulous his name is mr nebula the greatest and most powerful decorator the universe has ever known and he's tracked his missing herald the scarlet skier to earth now if this all sounds familiar it should as giffen and dematius made a career of comic book inside jokes and literally no one was safe mr nebula is a giant galactus there is no way around it and the scarlet skier is a silver surfer only he's got like a weird ski-doo thing that he flies around on. Of course, the Justice League is busy leaving the Martian Manhunter to defend the Earth with the help of Ice, Fox, a tiny winged man named Blue Jay, and the furriest Green Lantern of them all, Nort, who is truly the lovable loser mascot. Nort Esplanade Knee Smacker was created by Giffen, Dematius, and Kevin McGuire and first appeared in their Justice League International title with issue 10, 
Nort was a pointy-eared Jack Russell-looking dog alien that was given a Green Lantern ring by aliens impersonating the Guardians, who were trying to take down the core by giving rings to the most incompetent creatures in the universe. Nort is a moron with a heart of gold that proves himself and gets to keep the most powerful and dangerous weapon in the universe because he may be a big stinky dog, but he's a big stinky sweetheart too, darn it. I'll have to do some more research, but I'm building a case that Dematius is only funny when writing with Giffen. <laughs> okay, now listen, I've been trying to tell you this since the very first review. J.M. Dematius, which is how you say his name, Dematius. J.M. Dematius is not a comedy writer. He's a comic book writer. Marvel Team Up number one is not meant to be a comedy. It's lighthearted. It might have some jokes, but it is not a comedy. No, I agree. It was a failed comedy. Anyway. Oh, my God. This issue was legitimately funny. Nort is your classic Hollywood slapstick moron, and Skier is the straight man here who can't stand him. The two completely overwrite Nebula's dialogue, and of course, he's defeated by his own ego when Martian Manhunter shows him the Las Vegas Strip and says that we're in the process of redoing the whole planet to look like this. Of course, Nebula loves how tacky it is. The script is legit funny, and Giffen's art is spectacular, even when drawing a whole team of lovable losers. I gotta ask, though, Joe, who the hell is Blue Jay? <laughs> uh, so... He's like a shrinking winged guy? Yeah, I mean, now we're getting to wheels within wheels here. Um, <laughs> Editor's note, for more on Blue Jay, see this week's THN outtake on our YouTube channel, Multiversal Matt. Joe Patrick, why Nort? Oh, are you done? Did you rate this and everything? I gave it a buy it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I said it's huge buy it, but like, why Nort? I admit I love Nort too. Nort, it like he he's just slapstick, stupid fun, and he's always telling jokes, and everyone's always yelling at him. <laughs> That's what I was liked about Nort. Yeah, I mean, so I I have a I love. I love dumb characters. I love characters that are like bumbling good guys. I like it when D-Man shows up. I, you know, I have a, you know, I love Speedball, even though Speedball is a competent hero who got a bad rap. You know, like I love that sort of character. And Nort is a prime example of that. Um, I think it's, he's also a weird example of pop culture characters based on other pop culture uh, that precedes the age target by decades yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah see also warner brothers continuously uh referencing old hollywood all the way up until the 90s oh yeah in animaniacs in all of their looney tune stuff um and nort uh who didn't always look like a dog he was hairy yes but he didn't always look like a dog in his first appearance which was that justice league issue uh, justice league international number 10 he had a long kind of jughead nose. Yeah, he looked different, definitely. Uh, and he was he was Nort with no apostrophe. It was just G N O R T. I think he was. Yeah, I think that was him too. I think they added. I think that was here too. I think they added the apostrophe later. Huh. Um, but he was Nort, and he was dressed like Ed Norton from the Honeymooners. Oh, okay. Which we understand. Together. Well, because they were still airing the honeymooners on, yeah. in syndication when we were kids. Right. Back when you could threaten um, to kill your wife on national TV. And it was right. funny. But like, there is no, <laughs> there is no child alive that is going to understand that no. Nort 
is a reference to Ed Norton from the Honeymooners. That's, I mean, that's, that's Jackie Gleason. The, that's the other guy. Um, Ed Norton was the neighbor, the bumbling right. neighbor, right. the idiot neighbor that he was the, he was a garbage man. Yeah, or, yeah. He was a sewer worker or something or a garbage man. And he wore a vest, something like, like that. Yeah. yeah. So Nort is Ed Norton. Okay. Not the actor. There you go. Ed Norton yeah. from American history X. Got it. Um, yes. He's Ed. <laughs> Yeah, so Ed Art Carney very famously uh, shaved his whole body and tattooed a swastika on the side of his yeah, face. Yeah, stomps and guy started an art history. <laughs> stomps American history hex. Yeah. So, like, okay, now Matt, point of order: if you like this and the slapstick comedy of this Keith Giffen joint, mm-hmm. I th- I am calling BS on your hatred of DC Comics Presents. No, see, Joe, there's a difference. I'm calling here. it an anti-Legion bias. No, there is a difference here. The, the, and the difference is, this was funny. I thought the DC Comics Presents issue was funny. I, I don't need to defend it any more than that, because this was funny. That other stuff was not. So, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> You're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. Oh, man. I just, what a roller coaster this has been. I've never been angrier at you. I wanted that to be on on the record. One of us has a developed sense of humor. The other one is. Yeah, no, I, I, like, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry there weren't enough fart jokes in that DC Comics Presents issue for you. Uh, you know, that wasn't the problem. But anyway, anyway. Uh huh. Before the cosmic long box transports us back to our sacred timeline, we have to pick a favorite lovable loser hero and one of these comics to live on in immortality in the THN permanent con- collection. Matt, you're up first. I, I've got to go with the Justice League quarterly book I, and Nort. I mean, this was, it was just such a fun time where I cannot believe they let these creators have as much fun as they did with the Justice League. And I quite honestly can't remember the last time that I would call the Justice League fun. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it was during this time. That, that, yeah, that was yeah, a like hallmark of this era of the Justice League. It was seriously that long ago. And it just seems like so foreign like something that they absolutely could not pull off today you know this like david letterman-esque humor almost you know justice league book and it's just too much fun to revisit i loved it i'm giving it to nort and justice league the justice league quarterly annual and you're gonna think i'm doing this just to spite you but i'm not i'm giving it to dc comics presents number 59 sure you're not I'm not doing it despite you. I'm doing it out of genuine love. We'll let the fans decide. For this Joe. comic. And the fans <laughs> don't know what's in my heart. I'm doing it for a genuine love of uh, these characters and this comic in particular. I adore Ambush Bug. I uh, like, I want Ambush Bug way more often. Um, and I love the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Like, yes, they're a joke. And that's what I think is fun and lovable about them. I did not know and Ambush that, Bug started off as a criminal. I didn't know that. I mean, sort of. In the same way that Deadpool was a criminal, and then they very quickly realized, oh, no, he needs to be more of a Daffy Duck kind oh, like of. Superman made it sound like he stole a bunch of stuff. Like he was a thief. Yeah, like he was a robber. Like he was. It's not like he was like trying to conquer the world with Lex Luthor or anything. He was no, just like a idiot. small time. Like, yeah, he was a he was a he was a robber that happened to have. A, a teleporting uh, a gizmo and bugs yeah. that tel- made him teleport well like he ate, they were like little robotic yeah. drones and he would leave them wherever he was and then wherever one of those drones was he could teleport to it and which is pretty handy really he didn't make them though because he's an idiot 
Um, I I doubt it. We'll save that for the ambush bug cosmic long box. Yeah. <laughs> Want to read along with THN? You can find each week's episode review list on our Twitter and our Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. And don't forget, check out our Instagram feed to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Also, let us know what you thought about these comics and anything you read on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. So join us, please, because we don't have no show without you nerds. Reincorporating after time travel never gets any easier. So it's nice to relax and kick back in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum in our Nushian hair recliner. That's North Hair, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And enjoy a Zamoronian cigar while we talk about our must read picks for next week. Matt Bomb, what is your must-read pick for Wednesday, October the 20th? This is playing off your joke last week when you mentioned how whenever they put creators' names and titles, it kind of downplays things a little bit. But this title features a character in the book. Nita Hawes Nightmare Blog, number one, which takes me like for some reason this reminds me of river city nightmare band from the eminem <laughs> christmas special i don't know uh-huh. i don't want to go need a Haas nightmare blog <laughs> it's from image comics it's 3.99 it's written by rodney barnes with art by jason sean alexander and patrick reynolds here's your solicit Part one from the Universe of Eisner nominated series Philadelphia comes a terrifying new tie-in horror series by acclaimed Marvel writer Rodney Barnes. I don't know what he wrote for Marvel. And fan favorite spawn artist Jason Sean Alexander. Jimmy Sangster might have left Maryland for the vampire-infested city of Philadelphia, but there is still untold evil lurking the streets of Baltimore. The demon Corson has surfaced from the underworld to possess a once-wronged man, and his vengeance will come at the cost of humanity's despair! But Jimmy's former lover, Nita Hawes, a woman with demons of her own, has begun a quest to root the evil out of her city. Guided by the ghost of her dead brother, she must come to terms with her own past, lest she join her brother in a state worse than death! Kill-a-del- Iowa! <laughs> no, you're thinking Arkansas. Oh. is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> great. It's a book we reviewed a while ago. I really enjoyed it. I kept up with it here and there. I'm a couple issues behind, but I love that book. I love the premise behind it. I love the world building that they're doing. And this creative team kicks ass. I highly suggest you go check out Philadelphia and pick this up. For the record, I, I actually really love Iowa. Um, I have a lot of good memories of that place, and I've spent a lot of time there. My pick for next week is Catwoman, Lonely City number 1 from DC's Black Label. It's $6.99. It's written and drawn by Cliff Chang. Here's your solicit. Ten years ago, the massacre known as Fool's Night claimed the lives of Batman, the Joker, Nightwing, and Commissioner Gordon, and sent Selina Kyle, the Catwoman, to prison. A decade later, Gotham has grown up. It's put away costumed heroism and villainy as childish things. The new Gotham is cleaner, safer, and a lot less free. Under the watchful eye of Mayor Harvey Dent and his Bat Cops. It's into this new city that Selina Kyle returns, a changed woman. With her mind on that one last big score, the secret's hidden inside the Bat Cave. She doesn't need the money, she just needs to know 
who is Orpheus. Speaking of lovable losers. <laughs> I guess. May, hopefully it's a different Orpheus. Visionary creator Cliff Chang, you might know him from the New 52 Wonder Woman and Paper Girls, writes, draws, colors, and letters the story of a world without Batman where one woman's wounds threaten to tear apart an entire city. It's an unmissable artistic statement that will change the way you see Gotham's heroes and villains forever. I hope Cliff Chang wrote that. <laughs> I hope so too. The uh, only reason you're picking this is Cliff Chang, right? Because that dude, is, he kicks ass. Oh, yeah, He's certainly. Amazing. Yes. Uh, like Cliff Chang, uh, Cliff Chang's name on something is an automatic, like at least a, an automatic checkout the for story me. Like, sounds, I want to I want to see it. The story sounds nuts. I mean, it's, you know, an old feature. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it's an old feature that somehow also sounds very much like Fear State, where we've got right. a, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a new mayor, magistrate, I mean, mayor in town. Future uh, State, you mean, not Fear State. <laughs> Well, it's a little of both, isn't it? Like, because Fear State is the magistrate's rise to power. Oh, and Fear State. Yeah. Don't even try and map it out. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, like, let's not get into it. But yeah. anyway, the THN trade of the week goes to short order crooks. The trade paperback from Oni Press. It's 1999. It's written by famous crazy person Christopher Sabella with art by George Cambadias. That's where I'm going with. Here's a solicit. Rockwell Granger puts his misspent life on the line in pursuit of cooking for a living. And it's not going well. In debt to the notorious Barton brothers who control the Portland food cart scene with an iron fist, he struggles to make a profit and fights with the few customers he has. When the Bardems call in their marker and force him to track down a rogue food truck invading their turf, Rock has no choice left but to say yes. Meanwhile, Rock's taco truck has been invaded by his newest and only employee, Harper Marbury, who took backseat driving to a new level, replacing his menu with her vegetarian agenda. As Harper polishes her cooking skills, she's thrown into the chaotic food cart underground, helping Rockwell on his morally gray mission for the Bardems. With two jobs on their plate, Rock and Harper will have to learn how to get along and even harder how to cook together as they navigate the world of food pirates, evil hippies, and irate foodies before Rockets 86th forever. This is such a perfect fever dream plot from the twisted mind of Christopher yeah. Sabella. Friend of the show, Christopher Sabella. Uh, I we can't wait to read this. <laughs> uh, we kickstarted the uh, first issue. I don't know if you knew that, but we did. Oh. I don't remember exactly how many issues were in that first Kickstarter, but we we contributed to the Kickstarter for those first few floppies when they came out. It's great. And it's uh, finally coming out collected in print from Oni. Uh, I'm very happy for Chris. Um, it's a really fun book. It's just a mix between like organized crime and cutthroat food truck. Yeah. Uh, politics premise alone this sounds wonderful <laughs> yeah it's it's super wacky and the art by george combatius 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 uh is really good he's a very talented guy you've got your suggestions now get out there pre-order these damn comics if you're looking for a quality read and don't forget to check out this month's take a look it's in a book title joe hill's basket full of heads from the formerly dc hill house now known as dc horror imprint available in comic shops everywhere now it's like they're embarrassed of hill house or something i don't know i don't know I don't, what i don't really know i don't understand it's so weird excelsior
See you all. That is it for THN 639. Next week, we're back to reviewing new comics and playing a little Ask a Nerd. So, one lucky listener, you're getting your question answered. Nice job. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show. It's called THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our question of the week. This week's throwback question was submitted by Black Scorpion the Three via the THN forums. Kirby Crackle. The king had his dots, but I know you've all spotted some artistic signature move that you love. What is the signature art move that you geek out over? Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, there we go. I've, I've immediately thought of at least two or three that all came from Jack Kirby. Fair enough. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we're kind of dipping back into the archives because we've been doing this for so long that some of these questions are going to be brand new for most of you. Yeah. And this is a great question. Uh, you can call for you can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook live video chat. If you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave us a message on the aforementioned hotline and you could be internet famous. If you're going to submit anything via the hotline, please remember to keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the people that contribute live. And there are a lot of them and we appreciate all of you. If you're new to the show and you would rather laugh at bad porcupine Pete jokes and listen to any more, I assure you, it's you only son of a bitch. because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire MTHN in our digital long box archive at Two-Headed Nerd THN. It's a listener-supported podcast, baby. There ain't no ads on here, and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like Bo Conroy, to whom we deeply apologize for mistakenly associating you with that deviant John Luttrell on a recent episode. You are lucky that John came out and admitted he does not, in fact, know you, so you can dodge that. He, wa- he wanted to clear your name. <laughs> yeah. he, like, he, he was just like, I want you to know that that is not my bow. Don't drag him down into the muck with me. If you want to keep this show ad-free from companies like, I don't know, Manscaped, for example... All you got to do is to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two headed nerd where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content or you could just make a one time donation over at the PayPal's because you know what you you're OK. This one real friggin ugly. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to William Shatner, who had a you know what? I don't want to give the shout out to William Shatner. I have a different shout out. That's actually for somebody that we know. Like, look, why give our shout out to someone who's never, ever going to hear it? Because we truly love him. And it's amazing that Captain Kirk got to go to space and we're gigantic Star Trek nerds. I am wearing a Star Trek T-shirt, Joe. Okay, I watched the launch this morning. Uh Look, I'm just saying I'm not convinced that William Shatner is really that great of a person. But you know who is a great person? Aaron from Alter Ego Comics in Marion, Iowa, who celebrates her 25th anniversary as a comic shop owner. This week, uh, Alter Ego is the home to our good friends, uh, Seanix, Superfro from the Signed In podcast, even John Littrell, that deviant. I don't think they do Signed In anymore. I think it died. No, they don't. But I mean, he's still, you know, Superfro is Aaron's husband. Unlike our so, damn show, 
that refuses to die. <laughs> right. We won't. We won't die. So, word to you, Aaron, and word to you, Captain Kirk. Uh, I guess going to space is cool too. In a penis-shaped rocket. Until next in time. Pena- is it? Is it still penis-shaped? Oh, totally. I, I, <laughs> yeah, they didn't change it at all. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just replace them with a bunch of unfunny Legion of Superheroes garbage. Shut This up. is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. But first, you're on a monopoly of the week, and I don't care about the Legion. I'm just <laughs> slamming my headphones down. Hello, this is Baal from Earth 27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. Your onomatopoeia of the week is thump 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 thump. This is the sound of Robot Man, Cliff Steele, escaping from the crystal mind slaves of Gargwax by using two ladders as stilts. In the pages of Doom Patrol issue 97, published in 1965, I would also like to remind you that Ants make up approximately 20% of the Earth prime terrestrial animal biomass. That is all.